This is James Walker, and welcome to Real Talk, Real People. This is the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people to hear what they have to say about the issues and problems we face as a society. Hello, folks. Thank you very much for joining us again this week. You know, I've been thinking, if COVID-19 taught minorities one thing, it was that we have to take better care of our health, period. That's why so many of us died from this disease, died tragically from this disease, because we were not in good health. Well, of course, you take better care of yourself by gaining more access to health services. But there's also another way, you be, by becoming more knowledgeable about the health issues that affect not only you, but your race. Because there are health issues such and there are diseases that are just specific to minorities. My guests today are Leandre Memborn. He is a native New Havener and he now lives in Providence, Rhode Island where he just graduated from college. And I'm also talking with Frank Tavares and he lives in Waterbury. And Jim Rollins, the chairman of the board of directors for the Southern Connecticut Sickle Cell Disease Association of America will also be joining us. That association, by the way, is based in New Haven. The conversation is obviously about sickle cell. It is a deadly disease that doesn't get much attention. It doesn't get much attention. It doesn't get much funding. My nephew, Isaiah Smith, died of sickle cell disease the day before Thanksgiving in 2018, and he put up a good fight, but the disease really was just brutal, and his ending wasn't very pleasant. We called him Zeke, and he was only 23 years old. According to the National Health, I'm sorry, the National Institutes of Health, one in 13 African-American babies is born with the sickle cell trait and one in every 365 African-American babies is born with sickle cell disease. Jim Rollins has been instrumental in calling attention to the disease here in Connecticut. Without a doubt, he is the torchbearer and Recently, he and his association opened Michelle's House in New Haven. That is a first of its kind community center for those who are fighting sickle cell anemia and is named after the former first lady. But even with that kind of name recognition, the disease is not getting the support it needs from black and brown communities. On a scale of an African-American community, on a scale of from 1 to 10, we're about a 3 to a 4. And is that an improvement, say? When did that percentage come? Is it just here recently that we're getting more support, or is has that been like the baseline? Has that been the normal? We are getting, since we have been much more active and since we opened up the Michelle's house, and have strengthened our board, we are increasing in awareness. What we intend to do very shortly is to engage a um, uh, a company to give us a baseline for the awareness level of the entire community 
and then come back and visit that after six months to see if our interventions have improved awareness within, particularly within Southern Connecticut. And, and why Southern Connecticut? Because um, there are two organizations in the state of Connecticut which are charted under the SCDAA. We are the Southern Connecticut State um, uh, SCDAA program, and there's a second one in the northern part of the state whose hub is in Hartford. Okay. And what do you what do you look for in the black community? What kind of support are we looking for from the black community right now? We are looking for total support. One of the things that has been most traumatic to myself and the board and the sickle cell community is the overall lack of support uh, from the African-American community. I will go back to my um, my, my scrolling platform of, from zero to 10, and I would say that there were 3.5 to four. We get little support from the African-Americans, uh, sororities and fraternities, um, and um, it is really um, disheartening that uh, we have to depend so much on non-minorities to keep our program viable. Now, do you think that's do you think that's just because of total disinterest, or do you think we just need to get more information into black communities and impress upon them the importance of this disease? I think it's both. I don't think that we understand, just based on the continuing increase in the number of babies born annually with sickle cell disease, because we have not, may or may not be aware of the fact that the disease is genetic in nature, and therefore, we don't ask a potential spouse if they have the trait or the disease. So therefore, there's often or too often a surprise with the child born with sickle cell disease. Now that can be due to um, lack of awareness, or it can be the fact that we don't talk about sickle cell disease because of the overarching stigma that our community specifically has over discussions around sickle cell disease. Many people come to me and they say, Jim, I don't know if I have sickle cell disease or sickle cell trait, but they, uh, we are still having children. And the, the problem with having children with sickle cell disease in our community is the number continues to grow. Over the last 17, five years, uh, the birth of children with sickle cell disease in Connecticut is up 17%. Now, we own that through whether or not we understand our sickle cell status relative to responsibilities, but the fact that we continue to have um, uh, babies born in our state at that rate, um, regardless of the, of the knowledge base, <laughs> of the awareness base, uh, we all know children are continuing to be born with sickle cell disease, and but... Uh, we haven't taken the time to, going back to your original question, to understanding our role in that and the educational needs that we have to work within our own community. And I, as the executive director, have to really uh, have more resources so I can educate our community. We are in the middle right now of a public awareness campaign, going back to your original point. How do we, in fact, get as much information as possible and dollars. out to... And, and how do you get no, dollars from the black community, too? That's important. No question. We cannot successfully drive a public awareness campaign unless we have resources. 
and you, you hit it on the nail. We are responsible for over 270 individuals, uh, African-Americans in Southern Connecticut, uh, which means there's roughly around 1,000 individuals with uh, a sickle cell disease and roughly 20,000 with the trait. We're responsible from all the way from, from Greenwich, down through uh, Bridgeport, down through New Haven, down through New London. We get from the state $35,000 to cover 100,000 in- individuals. You're kidding me. The state only provides $35,000 in funding for this? $35,000. And we're responsible for the seven largest cities in, in the state. I kind of, uh, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that figure. I, I, I knew that you guys um, were not properly funded and didn't, didn't get the grant money and so forth that um, you certainly deserve. But 35000 I have to be quite frank, just blows me away. I mean, it's, I, that's a part-time salary for someone. So I, I don't even understand that figure at all. And I don't understand how they expect you to combat this disease with $35,000. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. That's why we have to depend so much on our community, and we have to work much more aggressively with the Black and Hispanic Caucus, et cetera, et cetera. But I... The thing that's important, uh, James, is that we know how impactful sickle cell disease is in our community. (laughs) And we will not close down. And then, because the system is not um, uh, respectful of of sickle cell disease, we have diseases that are the third the size of sickle cell disease in the state, a third the size of and they get 11 times as much funding. What, what diseases are we talking about? I, I can't name them because that'll be pitting disease against disease. I don't want to do that. Uh, okay, <laughs> <But>. I understand. <laughs> I get that. That, that is a battle you don't want. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but, and, but the impact, you know, we have... We're launching new programs. The uh, priority right now goes back to your first point about public awareness and our ownership. And our ownership, not only in terms of awareness when we're having children, that's an important question, but also the issue of how do we fund and continue to support our own communities. You're listening to Real Talk, Real People, the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people. We're back talking about sickle cell disease. You've listened to Jim Rollins talk about the need for more support from minority communities. Let's talk to Leandre to get a feeling of what having the disease is like. I describe it as almost like shards of glass passing through your veins, and you can feel them kind of pulsating and just passing through. Ooh. And then, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not much you can do either, you know. Um, heat helps, so if you have like a heating pad, it may relieve it. But um, typically, there's not much you can do. But it is a very excruciating pain. And I understand that at one point, when sickle cell patients went to the hospitals describing this pain, that they would not pres- prescribe pain medication because they felt a lot of guys or people afflicted with this was coming in just to um, get um, dope, so to speak. 
Have you ever encountered that problem? Um, once, um, and it is very, uh, I would say, I would say it's very, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's, uh, Common? it's frustrating. Okay. No, it's, it's frustrating. It's, um, because you know, most people with success truly don't seek drugs. No one necessarily likes taking drugs. It's just that when that's your only solution, you know, you can't do much else. You kind of have to. And so when we go to the hospital and we're so educated and we tell them like, hey, I need blank medication with blank amount, they're kind of like taken back and they kind of can't believe that specifically a person of color, a person from uh, maybe like a, a, a smaller neighborhood or like um, an underfunded neighborhood or urban neighborhood, as they like to call it, um, could come there and know exactly, you know, what they want and what they need to get themselves to Um, That's very uncommon in terms of the healthcare industry. You know, they don't necessarily see a lot of people come in and just automatically tell them, hey, this is what I need. I know this works for me. I've communicated with my doctors, you know? So they become a little weary. Um, And I would say a part of that is the lack of education, I would think, and just ignorance in general in terms of treating patients and understanding what your patients go through. Um, usually when that does happen, I think the best thing to do for me, it's only happened to me maybe once or twice, um, just stay calm and, you know, communicate with them like, hey, you can call my doctor and he'll tell you everything about this. You know, it's it's not something that's like undocumented or I'm not here just on a random Wednesday because I want to be here, I'm seeking drugs. I'm here because I'm actually in pain. Do you see, Have you, or I should ask you, have you seen changes since you became aware of sickle cell since you became a you know a teenager or going to the doctors on your own have you seen a a change in the way sickle cell patients are treated um not necessarily no the only thing that i've seen um recently is now they're opening up um the options for medical marijuana right which um i haven't i haven't partaken in um so far but i know a lot of people that have and um they all seem to benefit from it in one way or another. Um, but other than that, no, I haven't. Uh, for most of my life, it's only been one medication, and that's uh, hydroxyurea. That's the only medication that they have um, that you can take daily to try to prevent sickle cell crisis. And what exactly does that medication do? I know sickle cell has something to do with the red blood cells, correct? Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm pretty sure it aids in um, helping create red blood cells and I know for me particularly it um, helps alleviate my uh, jaundice and it helps so that I'm not as tired every day you know because when you don't have a lot of red blood cells it's not a lot of oxygen intake that goes straight uh, to the heart and our heart's working two times as harder as a normal heart so when that happens it's uh, it's hard to you know stay um, I would say uh, keep your energy up on a day-to-day basis, especially if you're working nine-to-five or working retail or just working in general. But I think this message does help. Um, it took me a long time to kind of understand that. And it can be frustrating, especially as a younger um, person. But um, I think we have to trust our doctors on this one and uh, stick with it. How does that affect your ability to work, or does it affect your ability to work? And if it if it does not, is that because you have bosses who understand um, what you are dealing with? Yes. Yeah, so um, I'm usually very transparent 
um, when I go to apply for a job and communicate with them like, hey, I do have success. Um, sometimes I may not be here because of that, but I will let you know when that does uh, arise. Um, but usually they're pretty understanding and open. Um, and it typically doesn't happen for me particularly. It doesn't happen too often um, where I would have to be out on them like every month or something like that. For me, my success crisis happened maybe once a year or twice a year. Um, so I've been on more myotide as I got older. But, um, yeah, it, it, it can be tough because you do wake up sometimes and you're just tired or not motivated or you just feel your body needs a rest day, but you can't because you have to get up and go to work at 10 o'clock. It can be tough, but uh, you just got to push through. I think most people, certainly I was surprised that Hispanics had sickle cell. I, I saw it just as primarily a disease that affected um, African-Americans. How prevalent is this in the Hispanic community? So it's not as prevalent as it is in the African-American community. Um, but, you know, I, uh, even growing up and going to uh, um, uh, hospital appointments and even uh, um, summer camps, I did meet a lot of Hispanic families and and um uh, uh, patients with sickle cell disease um so it, it is uh it, it is a little bit more common than other um uh, uh, ethnicities but uh not as much as the african-american community do you think there is a general awareness in the hispanic community that this disease touches them also i don't think it's as much as it should be um, there's still a lot of uh, people, including Hispanics, that don't know um, much about sickle cell disease and, um, you know, don't even uh, bother to get tested. You know, now it's um, kind of mandated in most states, but, um, you know, it's not something that they actually look forward to, uh, to knowing. Um, so uh, it, there's definitely not too much or not as much knowledge as as uh one would like it to be so when you say have uh, been in a situation where you're talking to your friends who and i must assume some of them are hispanic mm -hmm. do you talk about this disease with them so some of my close friends um are aware and you know i do i'm gonna speak to them about it uh and you know i try to educate them um, through my perspective um I, but for the most part, uh, most Hispanics in general, um, maybe I can do a little bit of, of a better job in trying to educate them. Well, I think um, we all can do. A, I think we can all mm -hmm. do a better job of educating people. So I mean, don't don't put too much pressure on yourself. But I think because I think we mm -hmm. all can do a better job. But um, what specifically would you like to do? When you say you could do a better job, what would that job be? What would that entail? Just knowing that, um, at least knowing the basics of, uh, you know, a disease like sickle cell disease that, you know, does tend to affect many Hispanics um, and many people of color. So, uh, um, you know, just um, uh, being able to know what, you know, what the disease consists of, how it can affect the, the human body. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, having the actual um, knowledge that it could also affect them. It could also affect one of their close family members, that it's not just a disease 
that affects African Americans. That um, you know, it even affects uh, some of the Asian population. So, um, it just I guess uh, just education in general about the disease itself would be important. When you now you say several members of your um, family have it, what is is, is this the, the so this isn't the type of disease that hits everybody say at one time. I know there are different times that people afflicted with sickle cell have to go into the hospital. So is this a constant thing with you guys say that one is in the hospital in April, the next one is in the hospital in June? How does that work in the family dynamic? How do you how do you kind of keep your spirits up when this you have this type of thing? So just to clarify, um, I only have an older brother uh, in the family that has sickle cell disease. Um, uh, you know, my parents obviously have the traits. Um, but in terms of, you know, handling it between him and I, um, you know, it's definitely it's something that uh, growing up, it, it must have been extremely difficult for my parents and my, uh, you know, my family in general. Um, so, uh, you know, it's something that uh, I, I definitely give a lot of um, a lot of credit to uh, uh, my parents and especially my mother for, you know, handling it so well. Um, and, you know, other families out there that have children with sickle cell disease uh, because it did, you know, really be burdensome on, their, on their, you know, family dynamics and all sorts of things. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that can have a, a large impact on it. On a, on a family. And what can families do to help those family members that are afflicted with sickle cell? Again, I think it goes back to, uh, you know, trying to educate themselves about it. Um, by educating themselves about it, they could possibly see how they can be of help. Um, so, uh, for example, uh, you know, like we uh, just mentioned, a lot of Sickle individuals are hospitalized constantly, so you know, just trying to be there for support goes a long way. Um, in terms of uh, you know, just uh, giving a helping hand or um, trying to uh, kind of navigate or, or uh, pick up some of the burden in terms of other obligations that a family may have, I think it's really important. So I definitely, um, you know, being there for emotional support, uh, social support. Um, goes a long way, so uh, um, that's something that that's definitely helpful for families in general. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real People. If you would like to be on the show, have a comment about the show, or perhaps you have an idea that the show should explore, give us a call at 203-605-1859 or email us at realtalkrealpeoplect at gmail.com and remember, start your Sundays with my column in Hearst Connect newspapers statewide and start your Mondays right here at Real Talk Real People. Have a good week folks. We'll talk again next week.